Hey, it's Rebecca. Before we begin, I want to let you know that we are overwhelmed by your love and support and kind comments on social media. And I want to ask you for a quick favor. Please leave us a review. It really does help us out and it helps others discover the podcast too. And here's this week's show. I really did believe that a lot of these women just had it all figured out and that after I interviewed, you know, 100 plus women, I would come away with the secret. But the secret was that no one has it figured out. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Each week, we're talking to women playing at the top of their game. So how are they doing it? Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. My guest today is a design guru who turned a hobby and her passion for visual arts into an empire. She's been called the Martha Stewart for millennials. Her blog, Design Sponge, which started out with a few thousand followers, now attracts more than two million visitors a day. And her recently released book, In the Company of Women, is already topping the charts with its look at how more than 100 women, makers, artists, and entrepreneurs have built their careers and their success. She also has a weekly show called After. After the jump, and she's here with us now, Grace Bonnie. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm thrilled that you're happy to be here. You have the essence of happiness all around <laughs> you. That is, that's like from the minute you walk in the room. That's what I'm getting off of you, which is great. And I love your story because with with Design Sponge in particular, it started out as a hobby, and it grew into something so much bigger. It did. It was absolutely. I mean, when I was starting in 2004, nobody was doing a blog as a career. So I never imagined that would be sort of the dream job that I could have. And what did your parents say when you said, I'm doing this blog? My mom told everyone I worked on the email <laughs> for a long time. Um, but they're, they're both so supportive and, and have been so great. But it took a while to kind of understand the concept that I was creating something. It just wasn't something tangible yet. You wanted to be in the magazine industry. And part of the blog was just you taking photographs of things that you thought were interesting that might help your magazine portfolio. It really was. I I graduated with a fine art degree and never thought I could sort of break into magazines unless I had a sort of clip collection. So I saw the blog as a way to sort of document my voice and the things I was interested in in hopes of getting a job at a magazine one day. And then when I did, all the magazines ended up closing really quickly. So I learned in this very unexpected way that the web was actually a safe and stable place to be. This is the year 2004-ish. You're just recently a graduate from college. What was it in your mind? Because I think about that decision to kind of become an entrepreneur early on in your career. When you had this dream growing up of working for a magazine, what was it that said inside of you, I could be an entrepreneur, this might be an actual thing I could do? I think it was twofold. I grew up with a father who ran his own business, and that was incredibly inspirational to me at a young age to realize that you could go from sort of regular office life to doing your own thing and to make it actually work. So that was really inspiring. But I also, I, I did want to stay on at magazines. I, I, I remember my last magazine foray was sitting in the office of Martha Stewart's um, Omnimedia trying to interview for Blueprint magazine and then having the interview and never hearing back and assuming I just didn't get the job and then finding out the magazine closed. So 
it was this sort of domino effect of of print having this really rough moment. And I kind of was forced to look at the website and say, is there a way I could make this sustainable? And there was. And I think that when my back is up against a wall is when I do my best work. So I, I loved that challenge. And what were some of the early things in terms of business? Because if you had sort of been thinking about your career as being a contributor, a magazine writer, author, whatever – those would not necessarily be the business skills that it would take to make a de- design sponge successful. No, and the business end of my business is what I'm always working on and always making mistakes with and always <laughs> learning about. What were some of the early mistakes that you made that you've now corrected and learned about? Uh, to be honest, the the most difficult thing I've had to learn is that the people that you are working with can be friends, but that can't come first. Mm. And I've made a lot of mistakes based on prioritizing a friendship over what a business needed. And and not just from the sense of profit, but just not sort of asking for what I actually need at the business and learning to ask firmly, or not even just ask, but to tell firmly what I actually need and what's important and when it's due. That was a big lesson I had to learn. And I didn't learn that the easy way. I think it's really tough. And I've, I've faced this challenge as well in my career, this desire to be liked. But when you're running something or managing something, respect is really what's important. Absolutely. And that that's something you have to, I think, have to learn by trial and error. And it's it's taken me 12 years of trial and error to really figure out what my voice as a boss is and that that's always evolving based on who I'm working with and, and sort of where I am in that stage of my career. It, that's a really good point because it's not a one-size-fits-all model. And it really is a lot of trial and error along the way. It, it's constant course correction. I really think <laughs> of Design Sponge as a ship and having to always be nudging the wheel in one way or the other based on what our current team looks like. I mean, the internet is constantly changing. So the demands that are placed on us as content creators are just exponentially expanding every day. So we have to change the way we manage people in order to change the expectations that we receive from the outside world. Do you have a person that you find to be the most difficult to manage? Uh, Me. (laughs) That's a great answer. Why is that? I I, I think I have an idea of myself as someone who's difficult to work with because I have very high standards for people I work with because I apply those standards to myself. But I've gotten better at cutting myself a little slack. And and honestly, the biggest takeaway that I got from writing in the company of women was to calm down and to cut myself some slack and to realize that no one was doing it perfectly because I really did believe that a lot of these women just had it all figured out and that after I interviewed, you know, 100 plus women, I would come away with the secret. But the secret was that no one has it figured out. And so it made me feel a lot better that after 12 years, I hadn't reached some nirvana where everything was just perfectly balanced. It actually can become more challenging the, the farther along that you go. The, the book, In the Company of Women, what was it initially that said inside of you, I have to write this book, this is it? It had been building for a while. The book actually began as a sticky note on top of my laptop, and it just said bold women at the top. And I had a list of maybe 10 women that I really admired for being loud and having opinions and like not being afraid to take up space. And I kept thinking about how cool it would be to get all those women in one space together. And that would never happen, but what a dream it would be. And I imagined it as a magazine, and then I imagined it as a book. And then I started thinking about all the books that exist for women in business. And I thought... There's a huge glaring omission in a lot of the business books that are out right now in that they speak to one particular story over and over, which is very often sort of a thin, white, educated, straight woman. And that's an important
important story to tell, but it's not the only story. And it's certainly not the only path to success. So I started looking at all of these incredible women I had met through Design Sponge and thought, what if I just put all of their stories in their own words without me filtering anything into this book to make this incredible visual reminder that there are so many paths to success and that you just have to choose one and try your best and here are these great examples of women who are making it work. What was the biggest surprise? Aside from learning that nobody believes in work-life balance, which was great, <laughs> right? Um, I found it so fascinating that I asked everyone what they wanted to be when they were a little kid, and almost every single person mentioned something that was some type of performer. And I found that as you get older and as you get deeper into running a business, performance is a huge part of being a business owner. It is about being the face of a company. It's about speaking to people and getting the word out, communicating with customers when things don't go right. Performance and sort of being bold and being able to put yourself out there, that's thats a huge thing. And I didn't expect that common element. I never really thought about it until I heard everybody say that over and over again, that as a kid, they loved being on stage as a dancer or an actor or even like a gymnast and things like that. So that was a fun thread to discover. Was that something that you wanted to be as well? No, I wanted to be, an, I wanted to run a newspaper which has kind of worked itself out in a weird digital way. I was an only child, and my parents gave me an old typewriter. And so I used to sit at the dining table and write pretend news stories and then, like, <laughs> distribute them to my Barbies in my room. And so I think I found an online way of doing that. Um, you asked everybody in the book for their very best advice. What were some of the most surprising best pieces of advice? I interestingly found equal amounts of inspiration in the youngest contributors and and the oldest contributors. And uh, Tavi Gevinson, who runs Rookie Magazine and is now on Broadway, was 19 when we interviewed her. And she said her best advice was to own everything, which I immediately interpreted as like, get your trademarks, get your copyrights, which is so great to know early on in your career, because I forgot to do all of that in the beginning and didn't own a lot of things that would have been very valuable for me to own. But then when I read that to other people, they interpreted that as own it, like, you know, take the spirit of what you've created and really stand behind it. And both of those meanings were so important to me and then so enlightening for someone in their teens to have already discovered what I hadn't really discovered at 35. <laughs> so that was wonderful. But then I also really loved listening to, there's a fine artist in the book named Amalia Mesa Baines, and she lives on the top of a mountain in California. And she's been working for 40 plus years. And she talked about how returning to her culture and to her history was the most powerful, inspirational tool because it was a constant. And I think when you work in the online world, you understand how difficult it is to find constants because everything is moving and everything is changing. And kind of having that reminder to go back to the things that have always existed that will always be there for me, whether it's my culture or my family or my family history, that was a really grounding reminder that I needed to hear. It is such a diverse group of women that you spoke to. And I wonder how the process of even choosing, because there are so many inspiring women out there and you can cast an ex extremely wide net and get really interesting stories back, but you really, as an author, have to whittle it down. How did you do that? That was hard. It was really difficult. The, the making of the list was, was actually fun and fascinating and easy, and it quickly grew to 200-plus women, but I knew I had to cut that in half. It's like and a wedding party. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, having all those women together at a wedding party would be so fun. Um, <laughs> I, I started to really whittle it down based on diversity of story because I think so often we hear about startups and people with venture capital money and these sort of more expected paths to business success. And 
in my life, and especially at Design Sponge, I'm always hearing about small-scale makers, mom-and-pop shops, people who are running things with you know, a sister, a brother, a friend. And I wanted to hear those stories as well. So when I made that list, I started to look at the way everybody got where they were. And I realized a lot of the paths were repeated. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you only have a finite amount of, a finite amount of space, I wanted to make sure those stories were different so that anyone reading could say, okay, there's no way I'm ever going to have the money to start that way. But look, this person did two or three jobs at the same time that they started their ceramics practice. And that's a great example to have if you know that your only path to business will be while you're still juggling two other things. So I wanted there to be as many entry points as possible for people reading. You know, you bring up a really important point when it comes to success. There were so many things. I mean, I, growing up as a kid, would have had zero idea how to get to ABC News. And frankly, if somebody said to me now, lay out for me the exact steps that one must take to to be in this role, I would say there are so many different paths to it. But at the end of the day, one of the things that I think can be really missing from education is the steps that really do have to be taken to put you in the right room, in the right space to accomplish the kinds of dreams and objectives that you have. Absolutely. And I think getting into that room and being able to know exactly what to say once you're in that room, I think that sort of perfecting your business or even your personal elevator pitch of how to explain what you do simply, if you don't know that yet, I think your business isn't ready to be pitched yet. I think that's something that all these women have kind of figured out and in different different ways is how to explain what they're most passionate about and what they really believe in and what sets them apart. And that's something I try to work with women a lot because – it's, it's a very difficult thing to sort of sum everything you do into essentially like, you know, your online pro- profile blurb. But that's a really powerful tool to be able to say, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. And this is what my company does. And I think the sooner you're able to explain that confidently, the sooner you're able to take advantage of those opportunities that appear in those rooms you can get yourself in one day. Well, and sometimes you never know where it's going to come up. And if you have that in your back pocket and you're prepared to talk really about yourself and what you want want, what you're trying to build, you're so much better off to be ready to tell that at any moment in time. Absolutely. I mean, that's what networking, I think, at its best really is, is not this forced way of sort of making connections, but taking advantage and in a good way of opportunities that do present themselves. And sometimes it's in the weirdest places. I mean, I have friends who've had babysitting jobs turn into writing careers on television shows. And it's all about who knows who knows who and how do you sort of politely and authentically communicate what you could possibly offer to those people. And Everyone's trying to babysit those yes. kids. <laughs> they, have, exactly. they have no trouble on a Friday night last minute <laughs> exactly. if, if you're you know, the director in Hollywood or whatever it is. Um, so elevator pitch-wise, you laid out some of the things that you think are really key for people to think about. Can I put you on the spot and get the Grace Bonnie elevator pitch? When's sure. the, first, before, before we get it, when's the last time you really felt like you had to do it? Um. I think in a way I'm doing it every day because mm-hmm. I have to defend my site and my content and my point of view on a constant basis across every different social media platform is somebody who has a problem with something that you've said. Um, and so I think every day I'm kind of refining and refining and refining what I believe, how I communicate that, and the most compassionate way to do that. I think working online is one huge just practice and finding compassion and trying to find some sort of commonality between you and the person who is communicating with you. All right. Elevator pitch time. You ready? 
Absolutely. I think I'm somebody who began my career talking about beautiful things. And over the last decade, I've grown to realize I am so passionate and so excited about the people behind those things. And my career has now moved to becoming uh, a place and a platform to provide voices and opportunities for those people. And I have a a special interest in women and small-scale businesses because for me, that's where the heart and soul of, of business really happens. Yeah, baby. Way to go. (laughs) An audience of one. I love it. And all of you listening, I bet you'll love it, too. I think, you know, something you said in in your elevator pitch, and it's true of everything that you've talked about in in terms of how you built your business and, and what you thought of within the company of women. It's about building a community. And... You have done that. And, and I, I really do think that that's part of what draws people to your creation. I, thank you. I, that's, that's, at the end of the day, the most important thing we do. Because I grew up feeling like I never really fit in anywhere. I kept waiting. I was like, maybe in middle school, maybe in high school, maybe in college, I'll find my people. And I just never quite found that place. And I had to build that place on my own. And I didn't realize I was doing that. But when I did, that was what I bonded with with people online was this sense of, okay, none of us quite found our our people. And so we had to create these websites or Tumblr pages or Instagram feeds that brought in the people who had sort of a shared idea or shared belief or shared ethics. And once you find those people, that support group is what really lifts you up to follow your dreams and turn them from ideas into reality. And every single woman in in the company of women spoke so beautifully about how important it was to have other women who do what they do as a part of their inner circle, because that's a support system that you really can't replicate in any other way. And so I hope that people reading the book are inspired to reach out to people, not just people in the book, but to reach out to people in their community that they admire and Go, go for coffee, take them for a meal, get to know them, help out in their studio. Those connections are the things that really make the difference between ideas and businesses that become real. Which I know can be very scary, that first step. Yes. Um, I always kind of tell myself that everyone is so focused on themselves that even if you make an absolute fool of yourself, they probably are thinking about the last conversation they had with someone else and made a fool of themselves. I mean, we all feel that way. It's so true. I think especially with the internet, there it is this great equalizer of reaching out to somebody on a channel and just being like, hey, I'm a fan or I like what you're doing or I admire whatever this is. Like, I'd love to talk to you. And, and then also knowing to not take it personally if that doesn't work out because a lot of people are busy and you don't know what's going on in their life. But I think if you throw enough darts at the board, one of them is going to hit eventually. And so I think the number of people that I reached out to about this project or about Design Sponge, um, you know, I got a lot of no's in the process, but I got a lot of yeses, too. And, you know, when a high percentage of those yeses turn into meaningful moments and connections, it's so worth the risk. Worst piece of advice you ever received? Uh, anything I was told in the beginning of my career, I had a lot of men give me advice that I think was based on them being intimidated by my website and the fact that I didn't need to work with their systems in order to get things done. And I'm glad I ignored it because everybody told me, like, sell your business, you know, hire hire some other guy to run something for you because no one's going to respect you and no one's going to know who you are and you're too young and I ignored all of that. I'm sure out of just sheer naivete, but I'm really glad I did because I built systems that felt authentic to me, and those have served me really well over the past decade. And one thing you think every person listening right now should know, should keep in mind if they want to be successful, if they want to dream big and fulfill that dream in their lives. 
build a support system around yourself. I think that no no woman is an island. No, every business is a village. And the more that you can do to build people around you who believe in you and who can help lift you up when you have those tough days, because those tough days are inevitable, the better chance you're giving your business. So embrace the people around you. Grace Bonnie, phenomenal speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. And if there's someone you think we should have on the show, let me know. You can tweet me at Rebecca Jarvis. And of course, you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram and Snapchat. And special thanks to the team here at ABC that helps make this happen. It is a big one. Taylor Dunn, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, Michelle Boncardo, Steve Jones, Erica Scott, and Elizabeth Hecht. And join me next Tuesday for an all-new episode of No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis. Until then, take care, be well. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.